The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Welcome to those of you watching this at home and for those of you who are new with us as well want to say happy new year to each of you as we come around God's word how about I just pray as we do that Heavenly Father as we sit under your word I pray that we would experience the power and the leading of your Holy Spirit Lord things are uncertain but one thing is certain you are good and you are here with us as we've already prayed. And so, Lord, as we come under your word, I pray that we would be deeply transformed and changed more into the image of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone at home and everyone here said, Amen. Well, I'm pretty sure that we're all happy to see the back of 2020. Um, you know, a number of perspectives, it was a complete another mess. And maybe the year that we've just stepped into is going to be a lot better. But notice I just used the word maybe. Maybe. There's no biblical guarantee that this new year is going to be better. I think this is what the Bible teaches. The, really the go-to place here is Romans chapter 8, uh, where we're told that our world, which is a part of God's creation, is in agony. It's longing to be, quote, liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so, of course, if our world is decaying, we shouldn't expect for it to get better and better. It's not on the up and up. I don't want to be a pessimist. I don't want to pour cold water on your hopes for this new year. Hopefully it will be better. But I think the Bible is very clear when it says the world is wearing out. The world is breaking apart. The world is like a decaying tooth. And so we shouldn't expect this year to be better. Now, who's still pumped for this new year? <laughs> Some of you. Now, the reason why I've started this message the way I have, again, is not to pour a cold bucket of water on your hopes, but really just to set up the big idea that we're going to grapple with together in this message. And the question is this. Regardless of what transpires this year, for better or for worse, richer or poorer, what is God's mandate for us? That is, what does he want for us as, as his people? What does he desire from us? What does he want us to pursue this new year? If you've got your Bibles at home, I trust that you do, please go ahead and take those and turn to the little book of Jude. It's really simple to find. Just go to the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation, and just turn left and you arrive at Jude. We're going to look at just two verses this morning, Jude 20, 21. Now, for those of you at home thinking, hey, Lewis is being super spiritual, you know, it's year 2021, and we're going to look at a passage, Jude 2021. It was a complete and utter accident. I only realized after I wrote the sermon, and I stood back and thought, Jude 2021, wow, that will work, that will preach, and I trust God's providence in that. And so I'm trusting that this message will really inspire you and encourage us as we think about God's incredible word here. So here we go, Jude 20, 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, here we go, verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love. So there's the mandate from God. We are to keep ourselves in his love. And so if you want a title for this message, it's this. God's love is our resolution. 
God's love is our resolution. He continues, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life, which is awesome. This is God's mandate for us. And so irrespective of what happens, God is calling us to remain in his love this year, every year, but you can only live one year at a time, obviously, that we're to be glued to his love. And so as we think about together as a church, what it means to make this our mandate, to keep ourselves in his love, we're going to think about just two questions this morning. So a nice, simple outline for this first sermon of the year. So two questions. Here's the first question. It's the what question. What does Jude actually mean when he says to us, hey guys, you've got to keep yourselves in God's love? What does he mean? Well, the good news is he doesn't mean that we can win or lose God's love depending on how we live or don't live. Uh, that would be bad news, all right? I mean, if we live disobediently and therefore forfeited the love of God, that wouldn't be great news. And also, if we obeyed God so that God would love us more, that wouldn't be great news either because that would mean that the day before he didn't love us completely and fully. And so what does he mean here? Well, just to make it helpful, Jude is not talking about union. He's talking about communion. Because the thing is, when we have faith in Christ, something crazy good happens. That is, God's declaration that he will always love us is true. And it will never, ever change. In fact, we're told this in Jude, in verse 1. He says, to those who have been called, and we have been called by God, who are what? Loved in God the Father, which is amazing. And this love never fluctuates, it never changes. And so when we have faith in Christ, we are joined to him. And as it were, we're baptized into the ocean of his love. And we can't fall out of that love. God will always love us. And so when Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love, he doesn't mean that we can fall out of it. He means something else. He means communion. That is, even though God will never stop loving us, that doesn't mean in, the, in our personal lives we always experience the warmth of his love. Little illustration. God's love is like sunlight. And his sunlight always beams down on us because of our union with Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we always experience the heat and the warmth of that love. We can, as it were, put up umbrellas when we disobey him, and that love of God is kind of shielded. We don't feel it. We, we, we live in the dark. We live in the cool. We don't encounter and enjoy his incredible love for us. And so when Jude says, come on, keep yourselves in God's love, he's actually urging us and exhorting us to maintain a lifestyle where we get away, get rid of our umbrellas of sin and defiance and rebellion and disobedience so that we may enjoy constantly the warmth of God's love, which is awesome. This is God's mandate for us. Now, interestingly, the word keep here at the beginning of verse 21, it says keep yourselves in God's love is a strong word. It actually means to be attentive, it means to be super diligent and vigilant, just like a mother eagle is super vigilant when protecting her young chicks from predators. We too need to make sure that we're in the love of God, protecting ourselves against the predators of spiritual waywardness and anything else that will seek to drag us away from the heart of our Father. And so this is why this needs to become our resolution this year, 2020. No doubt you've got other resolutions. Maybe you want to read more or you want to be more healthy or you try your hand at something new. 
all good things, but let's make this thing our ultimate resolution. God's love, walking and abiding and enjoying and basking in the warmth of his great love. So that's the what question established. Now the second question, I think the more pertinent question and the practical one, and that is how do we actually do this? How do we actually, practically speaking, walk and keep ourselves in God's love? Well, Jude helps us out here. He mentions three ways that we are to do this, to actually keep ourselves in God's love. And we need to abide in each of these three things. We, we can't play games here. We can't pick or choose like, yeah, I kind of like the first two, I don't like the third. No, we need each of these three means and methods and ways to actually remain in God's love. So here's the first means or the first way. And it's clearly stated in the beginning of verse 20. This is what we read. But dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, dot, 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 keep yourselves in God's love. And so in the mind of Jude, there's this profound connection between building ourselves up in the most holy faith and remaining in God's love. Now, what is that connection? How do we understand what Jude is telling us here? What does it actually mean to build ourselves up in our most holy faith? Well, we need to go back to verse 3 of Jude. So if you've got your Bibles there, verse 3, because Jude gives us a massive tip-off here. Listen to what we read. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share... I felt compelled to write and urge you to, listen, contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. What has been entrusted to us as God's people? The message of the cross, the message of Christ and him crucified. In summary, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the context here is that some false teachers had wormed their way into the church and they had distorted the gospel. They had manipulated the gospel for their selfish ends. We're told this in verse 4. They are ungodly people, we're told, who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And so Jude is thinking about the gospel, Christ and him crucified. And so when we arrive at verse 20 and he says, okay, here's the plan. You want to stay in God's love? All right, that's great, but you need to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. He means that our lives are to be governed by the gospel. We're to build our lives upon this sure, solid, wonderful foundation of Christ and him crucified. Or to change the, the analogy, we're to put down our roots deeper and deeper and deeper into the fertile soil of the cross, the message of Christ and his crucifixion so that we can tease out the implications and allow the gospel to work its way out through our entire lives. Challenging our idols where we say, okay, I'm going to follow the ways of Christ. I'm not going to pervert like these false teachers. I'm not going to manipulate the gospel for my selfish ends or my cultural preferences. I'm going to allow the gospel to shape me and to mold me and to transform me. And so this is what Jude is actually telling us here. He's saying that we are to be governed by the gospel of Christ. Now, interestingly, when Jude says, okay, you've got to build yourselves up, the term there is plural, build yourselves up. And so he's not saying, okay, here's the plan. You as an individual Christian, you need to do this at home by yourself. And, and you as well, you need to do this by yourself at home. No, he's saying, guys, you need to come together. 
You need to be in each other's lives. Yeah, attendance is good, he would say, but there needs to be allegiance where you commit yourselves wholeheartedly to one another, where you build yourselves up in the life of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, where you confess sin to each other, where you're open and transparent and real. You're not fake. You're authentic. He's saying this is how we can actually stay connected to God because who knows when all of that happens, when we're actually doing this, we're actually in each other's lives, in connect groups or whatever, this is what results. We actually walk with God because we're confessing sin, we're growing in the life of Christ, we're becoming more like Jesus. And so can you see this profound connection? And so this is why at PCC, we always encourage you, hey, if you're not in a connect group, be in one. Be in one. It's awesome. If you are new to the church, you're on a journey, and you're not too sure what connect groups are, that's fine. Just reach out to me. I'll point you in the right direction. You can do that. I guess the details will be on the screen in the service, or you can just contact us. We'd love to have a chat to you about what it means to be a part of a small discipleship community where we can build each other up in our most holy faith. Because when we're doing that, guess what? We keep ourselves in God's love. So that's the first thing. The second way we to, uh, to keep ourselves in God's love is highlighted in the second half of verse 20. Because he says, okay, all right, you're to build each other up in your most holy faith. But then he uses the word and. He says, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. Now, when we hear this term, praying in the Holy Spirit, as Pentecostals, immediately we think what? We think, Praying in tongues, speaking in tongues. That's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. It means to speak in tongues. And I'm not denying that. I think Jude has that in mind. But I think he has other things in mind as well. When he says you've got to pray in the Spirit. For starters, praying in the Holy Spirit results when our lives are full of the gospel of Christ. Why? The Holy Spirit flies in perfect formation with the gospel. Like bees around honey, the gospel is always around, the, the Holy Spirit is always around the gospel. And so where the gospel is honored and treasured and believed and lived out and preached and prayed into, there the Holy Spirit will be. And so if you want to be someone who prays in the Holy Spirit, if you want your prayers to be spirit-filled, you need to be gospel-filled. You need to get the Word of God, primarily the message of Christ and Him crucified into your life so that when you pray, you're just praying gospel-filled prayers. I can personally vouch for this. A small group of us at the end of last year decided to memorize some gospel-enriched, gospel-flavored passages. And the outcome was remarkable. We, as we were memorizing these passages and thinking upon them, meditating on them, the Holy Spirit was just doing deep works within our hearts. And when we were praying, there was so much fervency and passion and heat as we prayed. And as we prayed, we really sensed that we were praying in line with the Holy Spirit's will. And so this is a plug for Bible memorization. You, know, you can just start small, just get a little passage that's gospel-infused and just commit it to memory and allow it to churn away in your mind so that as you pray, you will pray in line with it and those prayers will be spirit-led and spirit-directed. Amen? Here's another thing about praying in the Holy Spirit. It also means to come so under His influence that when we pray, we pray in line with his will. 
Of course, these things are connected. Praying in the Holy Spirit and walking in the Holy Spirit. They're linked. They're inseparably linked. You cannot pray in the Holy Spirit if you're not walking in the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean to walk in the Holy Spirit? It means to obey Christ. It means to take every aspect of your life or your fears and doubts and waywardness and place them before his lordship. That's what it means to walk in the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, in Acts chapter 5, 32, we read that God gives his Holy Spirit to those who, what? Obey him. Those who obey him. Those who are sensitive to the, to the will and the purposes and commands of their God and Father. They are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit, so that when they pray, they pray in line with the Spirit's will because there is no contradiction between the will of the Holy Spirit and the will of God because we don't worship three gods, we worship one God, the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so the way to pray in the Spirit is to be led of the Spirit to walk in His footsteps. Amen? So as we do that, as we pray in the Holy Spirit, by having the gospel in our hearts, and praying in line with the, the will and purposes of the Holy Spirit, we will keep ourselves in God's love because it's impossible to pray in the Spirit and not remain in God's love. We will stay within the sphere of His love, the boundaries of His love, when we walk and pray in the Holy Spirit. So that's the second thing. So building ourselves up to do this collectively, corporately, together, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Third way, we're to keep ourselves in God's love. It's mentioned here in the second half of verse 21. I think in my mind this is possibly the most pertinent for our hour, where there's been a lot of doubt, concern, there's a lot of instability, and that's totally understandable. Listen to what Jude says here. This is pertinent. He says, keep yourselves in God's love as, as, here's the third way, you wait. In the Greek, it's while you wait. This is something we're to do every day. While waiting, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now, again, what is he getting at here? What does he want us to do? What does he want us to be about? What does it mean to wait for the mercy? Well, in short, it means that we fix our gaze on Christ and his coming. And all that his coming will mean for us. You know, in the prayer meeting just before this online streaming, Someone started to sing the song, or not sing the song, but they mentioned the song, you know, turn your eyes to Jesus. Look, fall in his wonderful face. And what's the result? The things of this earth, which are currently all over the show, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so this is what Jude is telling us here. That there's this profound connection with, with lifting our eyes to Christ, this merciful one, who gave us salvation, and this merciful one is going to do what? He's going to bring us, he's going to usher us into eternal existence, which is not only life without end, that's great, but it's life and peace and joy and true fellowship without end with him on a renewed earth. This is our hope. This is our inheritance. And again, there's this connection with having that hope and remaining in the love of God. Because it keeps us from spiritual waywardness. It frees us from certain distractions. You know, you know this from experience. If you've got an upcoming exam, or you've got an upcoming operation, or something big on your horizon, that tends to eliminate certain distractions in the present. 
you know that you've got to study. You, you can't go here. You can't do that. You've got to eliminate these things, these distractions, so you actually sit your exam and possibly do really, really well. Well, the ultimate thing on our horizon, of course, is the coming of Christ. And when we have that in our gaze, the coming of Jesus, it will eliminate certain distractions and make us more holy people. This is something the Bible points out at a number of places. For example, just two amazing passages. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. Dear friends, he says, now we are children of God. So there it is, our union with Christ. This is our declaration. We are the kids of Almighty God. Awesome. And what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when who appears, Christ appears, this is his second coming, his second advent, we shall be like him, wow, but we shall see him as he is. This is our hope. We need to fix our eyes on this. We're going to be like him. We're going to have resurrected bodies. No more pain. No more pathogens. Nothing except glory and life and truth. Now, listen to the connection here. Verse 3. All who have this hope in him purify themselves. Purify themselves just as he is pure. So there's a connection between hope and holiness. And what does holiness mean? Holiness means keeping ourselves in God's love, abiding in Him, walking with Him. It's this inseparable connection. What about this passage? This always floors me, this second passage here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26. Talking about Moses. Listen to this. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now, just, just pause there. This is what we're being told by our author. Moses had the ability... And the power to say yes to pain and no to selfish gain. Now, what gave him the impetus? What gave him the ability to say, okay, I'm going to embrace disgrace for Christ, persecution, being ostracized, being turfed out of the nation of Egypt and everything that he faced and, and, and turning away from the treasures of Egypt. I mean, that was some treasure. What gave him the ability? Well, we're told, listen, because he was looking where? He was looking ahead to his reward. He was looking ahead. You see, there's a massive implication that flows out of this. And I guess I want to caution us lovingly, pastorally. The devil has a plan for your life, each of our lives. And we know that. But have you ever stopped to think about what his plan A is in our lives? What his main strategy is? In fact, I think it's very simple. It's very subtle. That's why sometimes we don't discern his plan. But it's very simple, and it's this. He will do all it takes to get our eyes off of Jesus. That's it. I think this is what he communicates with his fallen hordes of evil spirits. I think this is how he coaches them. He says, look, whatever you do, make sure you distract them. Make sure you get their eyes off of Jesus and his coming, because if we can do that, we'll have a level of victory. Because he knows that in Scripture, like Moses, and like we're being exhorted by the Apostle John here, and down through the history, all the giants of faith, they've done, they've done harm to the kingdom of darkness because they've been focused on glory, Christ and his coming. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that we're no earthly good because we're not heavenly-minded enough. When we're heavenly-minded, 
when we're really focused on Christ and the mercy will do harm to the kingdom of darkness. Hence why Satan will use absolutely anything to distract us. And often in our lives of Christians, it's good things. Good things. Parenting, relationships, career, working on your body image, whatever it may be. If he can get us distracted, he, he can't damn us, but he can dilute the effectiveness of our faith. And so this year, let's not give him the pleasure. Let's not give him the pleasure. And so let's keep our eyes fixed on glory, on Christ, and all the more as we see our world falling apart at its seams. And so come on, let's make this our resolution this year, God's love, as we continue to build up our most holy faith together, being open and honest and real, as we continue together to pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we keep our eyes gazed on Christ and his coming. You see, this is the good news as I conclude. With most of our resolutions, they end mid-January. Who knows what I'm talking about? Because our willpower is not enough. We try, we try, and ah, the diet's out the window mid-Jan. Well, the good news about this resolution, God's love, is that we don't have to lean on willpower, but the ultimate power of the Holy Spirit. We lean on Him, press into Him, because the promise is found right at the end of Jude. This is what we read. To Him who is able to what? Keep you, keep you every day of your life, year upon year, able to keep you from stumbling. That's falling away from him, not living before his glory and love and enjoying that fellowship and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. And we all said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.